Well, we start a four-week mini-series uh, on spiritual leadership this week. And uh, it's a, a course uh, that John Spicer and myself developed uh, in 2008 uh, and have used in India and he's used it in Nepal and we've used it with our interns. And we really felt that it was something that we wanted to do for the whole church. We call it format because uh, John Spice is clever that way in coming up with uh, snappy little titles because it's based around Matthew chapter 4. Format, you see. And it's about formatting us into great spiritual leaders. Huh? Clever. I don't come up with that kind of stuff. So that's what we're going to do. So I wonder if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. We do go into Matthew chapter 4, okay? There is a bit of format about it. So chapter 3, verse 13. We're right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry here. In fact, chapter 2 ends with Jesus' family returning from Egypt, where they have been refugees in hiding, hiding from Herod. Kept safe in Egypt, they are returning to a little unknown village called Nazareth. And there, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, will take up work as a carpenter, and Jesus will work alongside him there. Chapter 3 starts with John the Baptist uh, calling out as one calling in the wilderness, saying that the Lord is coming, Messiah is near, the Holy One of God is about to appear to the world. He's a very interesting character. He goes around dressed in camel skin with a leather belt and he eats uh, locusts and honey. Slightly odd fella, but related to Jesus and calling out that the one is coming. And people are drawn to him. They hear this word of truth and people are flocking to him. And they, they come to commit themselves to God and what God is doing, even though they're not quite sure. They believe that, that one is coming. And a way of them dedicating themselves is in baptism. And so people are being baptized by John. And he has a ministry of preparing the way of the Lord with this baptism of repentance. A turning to God and awaiting the one who is to come. We pick up the story in Matthew chapter 3 verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came 
and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Let's pray. Father, in your mercy, would you come and breathe on your word? I thank you that it is yours, that it is God-breathed already. I thank you that it is given to us and is useful for our training and our teaching, even our rebuking. Father, would you let it dwell deeply within us? Would it inform and transform us from the inside out? Lord, we give ourselves to you and your word this morning. Help me as I preach. Help us as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Mother Teresa has some wonderful words about Christian leadership. She, she writes this, ten. Ten commandments for Christian leadership. Num- number one, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love and trust them anyway. If you do good, this is number two. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Do your best anyway. The service you render today may be forgotten tomorrow. Serve people anyway. I think you're getting the idea. Honesty and frankness will make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest people with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest person with the smallest idea. Think big anyway. People pretend to love the little people, but they sell their souls to the big people. Fight for the little people anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help but may attack you if you do help. Help people anyway. Finally, 10th commandment. Give the world the best you have and you'll probably get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. I love that turns leadership on its head. But Jesus always did that. He said, you see how the Gentiles lead. They love to lord it over you. You are not to be like that. In fact, if you want to be great, you have to become the least. A servant. In fact, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of God 
came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' spiritual leadership is upside down leadership. For Jesus always, the way to up is down. His path is one of downward mobility, starting in the glory of heaven and coming to a stable. And lower still, he goes and makes his friends with fishermen and tax collectors and street women and sex workers. And lower still, he finds himself in a garden all alone with his friends fast asleep. And he cries out, may this be taken from me, as he lies in the garden. And lower still, as he's dragged off by guards, and he's whipped and beaten. As he stands before the high priest, and the high priest guards slap him. They say to Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, do you not know who you're talking to? Speak to the high priest. Did the high priest not know who he was talking to? And lower still, he's handed over to Roman soldiers who mock and spit. And lower still, he's nailed to a cross. And lower still, they haul him into the sky. And they mock him and they say, you saved others, save yourself. And lower still, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me for Jesus spiritual leadership the way to up is always down the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many so I've got a number of principles from this passage about Spiritual leadership. Next week we're going to look at the temptations of leadership, but today I want us to think about who we are. Who we are as people. So, first principle is this. Know what you are about. Know what your purpose is. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. He knew what he was about. There was reason and there was purpose. God had moved upon him. God had spoken to him. Remember, Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. And he's got up from this nowhere place, Nazareth, and he's traveled across to the Jordan for one purpose, to be baptized. Now, Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. Jesus is the perfect son of God. He is true God of true God, light of light, eternal. And there was no sin in him. Even even as a child, he has not sinned. He has led a pure and blameless life. He's about 30 years old here. He doesn't need to be baptized. But God has told him 
He must. And so, with a focused heart and a focused mind, with a purpose, he goes to be baptized by John. What's your purpose? What is your purpose? Why are you here? It's impossible for us to truly live until we truly know why we are here. The Westminster Confession of Faith is quite helpful. It says this, it's old archaic language. It says, what's the chief end of man, people? The chief end of people is to glorify God, to love God and enjoy him forever. That's why we are here. That is the meaning of life. But to each one of us, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future, to prosper you, Danielle, not to harm you. And you will find me when you seek me with all your hearts. He has a purpose for each one of us. And actually, when you were born, he gave you desires and dreams and attitudes. And all of that he uses and he shapes I have a really good friend, and we were talking about things as we were carol singing not so long ago, and talking about a couple of opportunities coming their way. And uh, one was a sort of administrative role, and the other was a possibility of doing something that they enjoyed, sailing. And we got talking about it. My friend is passionate about sailing. And said, you know, I'm not sure which of these two, you know, I really should invest my time in. I I don't really like admin. It's not really me, and it's another meeting, and I do a fair few of those. But it could be what God wants me to do, because, and you get the the idea, don't you? He didn't actually say this, but, but God couldn't possibly want me to do the thing that I enjoy doing. And I said to my friend, I think the best definition of calling is this. Where your passion meets the world's need. My friend had said there's an outreach program for disadvantaged children to take them sailing. My friend loves sailing. And there's a need. And the two come together in a beautiful and perfect thing. That's God. That's God. Where our passion... Who we are meets the world's need. I love that. Honestly, you know, us fathers and mothers, if our children came to us and said, I'll do anything you want, we're not going to turn to our children and say, well, I'm really glad you said that. For quite some time, I have wanted you to go in this cupboard under the stairs where all our smelly shoes are, and where the spiders live. As you have said to me, you'll do whatever I want, would you go in there for the next 24 hours? No. If our children come to you and say, I'll do whatever you want, they're just like, I'm so proud of my boy Callum there. He's doing the scream, words. love it. And that's me typing, by the way. Just, I haven't got a nervous twitch. Might have, but that's me typing. I love it. I love that. And he's good at it. 
And in fact, he's been training Ben, Ben Six. Training Ben up there and Andy, my mates, up there with him, just helping him, making sure he, he, he's right and it's not going to go wrong. I love it. That's a great demonstration. God is like that. Real pride in, in God when we work and when we give ourselves to him completely. It's beautiful. Know what you are about. What's your purpose this year? What has God called you to do this year? Now, that can't be answered in a sermon. You'll need to go away. You'll need to think. You'll need to pray. You'll need to think about who you are, what makes you tick, where you get your energy, where you get your excitement, where you get your passion, what radiates to you, what drains you, and work it out and lay it down before God and say, God, This is who I am. What are you saying to me? You made me. You are the potter. I am the clay. Put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. That's what we do. Know your purpose. And when you know your purpose, stick to it. I find it really interesting that Jesus comes to John and he says... Baptize me. And John says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus is being, is being put off by John. And it's obvious to see why. John's a man just like us. Well, except for the camel hair suits and the leather belts and the particular diet. He's a man just like us. He makes mistakes. Well, it's certainly in his fashion sense. He makes huge mistakes, like all of us. He gets overexcited. He gets overly grumpy. He wakes up some morning and doesn't want to get out of bed. Jesus is pure and spotless. And John is right and he says, no, no, no. It should be the other way round. You should baptize me. And Jesus says, no. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this To fulfill all righteousness. And John consented. I love that obedience. Secret of the Christian life. Whatever he says, do it. However daft, however extreme. Check it out and then do it. John consented. But Jesus will not be put off. And neither must we. When God has called us, when God has given us a purpose, do it. Go for it. Now, there are a number of ways that we are put off. The first is by apathy. We dream dreams and we share them and tell people and they don't get very excited about it. Apathy. And there's nothing that can quench enthusiasm quite like that, is there? Just like, oh yeah, that's nice for you. Hold on, this is so exciting. I'm dreaming of this. Yeah, very nice for you. That quenches us. Don't, don't, don't let that happen. Know your purpose. Know your dream. And go for it. A second way that... Second way... That, that we can be put off course is by flattery. And here, 
John says to Jesus, no, 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 no. It should be the other way around. You're, you're the better man. This is, you're, you're too good for this. And we can be put off by flattery. We can come up with something that God says for us to do and good and lovely people around us, well-meaning people, can say, no, 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 you're too good for that. You don't want to lower yourself that way. The way to up is down. Downward mobility. Not upward mobility. Spiritual gifts aren't on shelves one above the other. They're on shelves one beneath another. It's not how high can I reach, but how low can I go? So we can succumb quite easily to flattery. And then, of course, thirdly, it is criticism. My dad denies saying this, but I can remember it quite clearly. When I told my dad that I was uh, leaving the police to go into the ministry, I I remember him saying in his Glaswegian accent, Andy, I didn't think you could sink any lower than be a policeman. I was clearly wrong. And criticism comes, doesn't it? We know what it's like. Who hasn't heard bruising words that penetrate quite deeply into our souls? I remember once when I was a lifeguard, a swimming lifeguard, someone called me a waste of good skin. Thanks for the support. It still, still stings. Even though it was 30 years ago, nearly. I remember when I first went into ministry, one very experienced minister told me and Joe together, you'll only last six months. Well, that was 20 years ago. Boof. But they hurt. They really hurt. This is uh, what Teddy Roosevelt said. I've read it before and I'll read it again. I love it. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the person who points out how the strong person stumbled. Credit belongs to the person who really was in the arena their face marred by dust, sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs to come up short and short again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. It is the person who actually strives to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms and knows the great devotion, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of great achievement and who at worst, if they fall, at least fall while daring greatly so that their place shall never be with those cold and cruel souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Know your purpose. Second leadership, spiritual leadership principle, I think, is to know who you are. 
Know who you are. Verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and landing on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What is the answer to the stinging criticism, the blank looks, the harsh words? God's word. It's the only antidote to the cold shoulder. It's the only antidote to the feeling of worthlessness, hopelessness, and helplessness. The word of God. This is my son. With him I am well pleased. Jesus said that he needed to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. What did he mean by that? He was already righteous. He was already pure. He had not sinned. What on earth does he mean? This must be done to fulfill all righteousness. Well, it's quite simple, really. When Jesus stood in the Jordan, this ain't the Jordan, but it's our baptismal, closest thing we've got. When Jesus stood in the Jordan, miraculously, because he's God, and miraculously because he's supernatural, those who are in Christ, that means those who are Christians, are transported 2,000 years to be in with him, to be included in that moment, just like we are in the cross. The two, baptism and crucifixion, are very, very similar. And we are included so it wasn't Jesus' righteousness that needed to be fulfilled, but ours, mine. You see, baptism is so similar to crucifixion that actually we act out Jesus' death. We get into the pool to say we follow Jesus. We go under the water to say we are dead with Jesus. And we come up out of the water to say no longer it is I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. So Jesus did it as our representative. And we're included in. It's beautiful. So when those words are said over Jesus, they're said over you. When you stood in that baptismal pool, that's what God said to you. This is my child, Mickey. With you, I am well pleased. Know who you are. The only antidote for the whispers of the world are the words of God. And God has much to say. He says to Ian, he says, my eyes saw your unformed body. All the days that you all have were written in my book before one of them came to be. It's lovely. He says to you, Val, even though you walk through the waters, they will not overwhelm you. Through the fires, you will not be singed. 
To some of us, he says, a smoking flax. I will not snuff out a bruised reed. I will not break. He speaks to us. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and he laid law. He says to you, Fliss, all your sins are buried at the bottom of the sea, and I remember them no more. He said, you are graceful and beautiful, a daughter of the living God, and I rejoice over you with singing. That's what he says. Again and again in the Bible, he speaks. Here is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. He says, nothing is impossible for you, Julie Gibbs. Nothing. In Christ, you can do all things. That's what he says. Again and again, he comes. He says, Peter Cranefield, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. God is good. He takes those words and those snubs of the world and he turns them round. Know who you are. Child of the living God. Know who you are. Jesus says, I no longer call you servant, I call you friend. He says, I've appointed you to be fruitful and drop fruit that will last. I wish I could go to every one of you. He says, I have a new name for you. It's not worthless. It's not forgotten. It's not overlooked. But it's beautiful, restored, healed, useful, John. Not useless, useful. He speaks. And his word is powerful. Know who you are. So know your purpose. Know who you are. I think David mentioned it last week. Walter Brueggemann said this. You remember who you are. When you remember whose you are. You remember who you are when you remember whose you are. The Bible tells us that we were bought at a price. I reckon now, this is just my thinking, but I reckon I used to be told that the parts of our body were worth about 30 odd P. The world has changed and people are hungry for our liver and kidneys and our retinas and all that. So apparently we're probably worth a couple of hundred thousand uh, pounds or so now, if you're in good health. Me, nothing really. Uh, I think I've got some nostril hair that might be good for someone. But that's, that's, I know, that's about it. But probably if you're in fine health, if you're Tim Searle, you know, people are going to pay good money for his lungs and kidneys and heart. So we're probably worth about 200,000 pounds, probably, on a good day. How much are you worth? You're worth the very creator of the world. The very sustainer of the universe. Coming to earth and dying for you. His blood was shed for you. Priceless. That's how much you're worth. 
You're worth God himself dying for you. That you might live. Know who you are. Know what your purpose is. Third principle is that leadership, Christian leadership, spiritual leadership is always about following. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Christian leadership is always about following. Jesus did not call anyone to lead. He calls everyone to follow. Even Peter, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. He calls us to follow. Henry Nouwen says it lovely. He says this, I'm getting in touch with the mystery of leadership. That for a large part means to be led. You only can lead by the measure in which you are led. You can only lead to the measure that you submit. Don't tell me you're a great leader if you refuse to submit to the people around you. It's just like saying, don't tell me you listen to God if you don't listen to the people around you. Don't tell me you love God if you don't love the people around you. We can only lead as we are led. That's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate, as I follow Jesus. He's saying, only do it as I'm like Jesus. If I can be a living parable to you of what Jesus looked like, follow me. But if I don't, don't. We can only lead as we follow. Next principle is this. We can be following and we can be in step with the Holy Spirit and still find trouble. We have to get out of the idea that when trouble comes, it's because we've veered off the path. Not so. Jesus is led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. It's God's purpose for him. That gets some head around. It's not always going to be straight sailing. It's not always going to be smooth. There are hard times, hard questions, hard temptations that come. But we are still called to follow into the very fires, if necessary. We follow the Spirit because we can only lead as we are led. I find it very interesting that Jesus spends 40 days and 40 nights spiritually, physically fasting. Here is true God of true God, communing with God in the wilderness. No distractions, he's fasting. He is on, if such a thing can be said about Jesus, a spiritual high, fasting close to God. And it's right there that the devil turns up. And so with us, 
when we are closest to God, when we are right in the center of his will, it is often the time that the enemy rears his head. Let's look at what the enemy said to him. He said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The devil knows him fairly well. He knows his strengths and he knows his weaknesses. Jesus, we're told, is hungry. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's Jesus' weakness. The enemy knows your weakness. Or in my case, weaknesses. He knows them. And he also knows your strengths. Because it ain't no good, the devil telling me I can turn stones into bread, because I can't. But Jesus can. So not only does the devil know our weaknesses, he knows our strengths, and he plays one off against the other to lead us astray. He is very cunning, very manipulative. We need to be aware of his tactics and his schemes because he seeks to entrap us and bind us. He can appear as an angel of light and as a demon of hell to woo us and to scare us. He is very cunning. But you know, that's not the main attack. The main attack is not to turn bread, sorry, uh, stones into bread. The main attack is his identity. If you are the son of God. That's the attack. That's what he's going to say in each of the temptations. If you are the son of God, then I'll give you all these nations. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down and it'd be spectacular. If you are the son of God, it's an attack on who he is and what he's about. God has spoken, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Will Jesus believe it? You're accepted, you're forgiven, you are children of the true and living God. I'm accepted, no condemnation. There's no guilt or fear as I draw near to the sustainer and creator of the world. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because we know how the enemy comes, if you are. If you really were a good Christian, you'd do that. And how many times do people say that to you? Well, that's not very Christian. Particularly our kids at school. In the moments that our kids, you know, put up, put up, put up, and then suddenly fight back, the people who provoke and provoke and provoke go, well, that's not very Christian of you, is it? Don't they, son? They do it. And we do it to ourselves. If only I was a better Christian. If only I was more like X, Y, or Z. Oh, they've got it all together. See what they do. Hear how they preach. See how they pray. If I was any good, I'd be more like them. That all comes from the father of lies, Satan. Satan means accuser or critic. That's interesting, isn't it? Satan means accuser or critic. He is the grand 
critic, the grand discourager. Know who you are. So four lessons for us. Four lessons for us, quite brief. Four things to pray for, all begin with A. The first one is awareness, okay? The ability to see. The ability to see, awareness. First, A, thing to pray for, that God would give us eyes to see. Particularly, eyes to see God in the midst of us. Choose to believe that the Holy Spirit wants to live our day with us. Leading us, guiding us, speaking to us. Awareness. Saturate our minds with the Bible. There is nothing like it. How can you know that God says, all the days ordained for you are written in my book before one of them came to be, unless you know Psalm 139? How can you know that I have cast your sins as far as the east is from the west and buried them at the bottom of the sea unless you know Micah 6? How can you know that he has plans for you And you'll find them when you seek them with all your heart, unless you know Jeremiah 29. Saturate your mind with the Bible. How can you, like Job, stand and say, though he slay me, I trust him still? Unless you know the book of Job. How can you know my Redeemer lives? And I shall see him unless you know the book of Job. I could go on. I won't. But you get the idea. Here's the thing. Some of us hopefully started reading our Bibles in a year. Some of us have probably dropped off already. Don't worry. Just go where you last left off. Don't be full of guilt. Just keep going. There's a great resource. It's called Word Live. Okay, it's a brilliant scripture union. It's totally free if you do it on the website. If you want to, you can buy apps for your smartphones. Word Live. W-O-R-D-L-I-V-E. Wordlive.org, I think it is. It's totally free. It gives you a passage of scripture, about seven verses every day, with some great thoughts and prayers. Even a little picture to help you in your devotion. Beautiful. Word Live. Saturate your mind a little bit every day of God's word. That's A, awareness. Second is attitude. I I love this quote. I don't know who said it, but it goes like this. Never tell a person that something cannot be done. God may have been waiting for centuries for somebody ignorant enough of the impossibilities to do that very thing. I love that. Don't ever tell anyone something. They can't be done. It's impossible. Because God's just been waiting for someone stupid enough to try it. Attitude. Have a good attitude. Nine times out of ten, we somehow can choose our attitude. It is very hard to do. But nine times out of ten, we can choose our attitude. There are many factors which influence our ministry, our Christian life, that we have no control over. Our background, nationality, our age, our giftedness, those were determined by the sovereignty of God. 
But there is one important factor you do have control over. How much you choose to believe God. That you can choose. How much will I believe God? This much. Well, this much. Attitude. It's the second day. So we've got awareness. We've got attitude. Third is action. The courage to do. Churchill said there comes a moment in everyone's life, a moment for which that person is born. That special opportunity, when they seize it, they will fulfill their mission. A mission for which they are uniquely qualified. In that moment, they find true greatness. It's their finest hour. Courage. Henry Blackaby, in Experiencing God, says, Some people say God will never ask me to do something I can't do. I have come to the place in my life that if the assignment I sense God is giving me is something I know I can handle, I know it's probably not from God. The kind of assignments that God gives in the Bible are always God-sized. How about that? If God's asking you to do something you know you can do with your eyes shut, probably ain't God. If he's asking you to do something, it's going to take faith, sacrifice, determination, and courage. You can be pretty sure that God's at work. So the ability to see, awareness, the faith to believe, attitude, the courage to do, action, and finally, the hope to endure, which I call true achievement. The hope to endure, achievement. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. James wrote this, blessed is the person who endures temptation, who perseveres under trial, because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The word endure means to hold up under fire, having the ability to withstand hardship, adversity, or stress, to remain firm under difficulty, without yielding. Churchill again, the nose of a bulldog is slanted backwards so he can continue to breathe without letting go. Don't give up. And everything inside of you cries, give up, give in, go to bed. Close the curtains, pull the sheets up over your head. I do that a fair bit. Speaking to myself now. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep going. For God is with you. God says, I will never leave you. 
I will never forsake you. I have given my very son that you might live and poured out my spirit upon you that you might breathe and bear great fruit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a light to our feet. We would be lost without it. Lost without you. Your very breath is our life. Your love, our only hope. Your truth, our path. And we thank you. Lord, I ask over the weeks and months ahead for all of us, you would speak deeply into our hearts about our purpose. Why are we here at this time and this place? Father, would you speak deeply into our hearts about who we are? May we hear your word speaking to us. Hear you say you are utterly beautiful, my sister, my bride. There is no flaw in you. In Jesus' name, amen.